0: Welcome to Season 2 of This Must Be The Place, the show that reveals the unique physical, cultural, and emotional layers of places. Let's start the new season with with some big news, news that will have a significant impact on the direction of this podcast and the site at www.thismustbetheplace.io. I will be moving to San Sebastián or Donostia in the Basque country of Spain In the fall of 2017, most likely in November. The plan is to live there for at least a year. Because of this, the themes and topics I will cover will grow to include life in this new town, in the Basque region, and in Spain overall. I will also spend some time describing the motivations for the move, the planning involved, and some of the philosophical thinking around the choice to become an expat. That said, This is not a complete shift of focus. I will still be following the central mission, revealing the unique physical, cultural, and emotional layers of places. It it just so happens that instead of being based in Seattle, I will be based in the Spanish Basque Country. This means that there will be episodes dedicated to the people and the nooks and crannies in San Sebastian and across the Basque Country. But let me take a step back and share with you some of the motivations, the thinking, and the emotions behind making the decision to pull up the roots. Back in September of 2015, my wife and I undertook a a leisurely three-week vacation in northern Spain. We spent about a week in San Sebastián before picking up a rental car and driving across the north of the country. We spent time in a small village in Asturias, at the foot of the Picos de Europa mountain range, called Abandames. This is a region known for its wild goats and caves in the limestone mountains where Cabrales cheese matures into its spicy, pungent, beautiful self over time. Then we went to Oviedo, the capital of Asturias with its tangled medieval old town, and we went further through to the Galician coast to experience Playa de las where the low tide exposes these tall, spindly, natural arches and caves, thus giving the beach its name, the beach of the cathedrals. We spend a couple of nights in in Santiago de Compostela, meandering through its mace-like tangle of streets, bathed in a bruised late evening light, and it tinted the streets with, with melancholy. We then turn back through the northern interior of Spain, and back to San Sebastian with a couple of overnights in León and in Bilbao. That sounds like a lot to cover, but remember that distances in European countries are of a different scale than we are used to here in the United States. When all was said and done, that was probably around a 950-mile round trip in under two weeks. So that's roughly the equivalent of driving from the coast of Washington state to its border with Idaho and back in those two weeks. Northern Spain is different in many ways from the rest of Spain. The region is framed by mountain ranges. They bring with them a a cooler, more temperate climate and more rainfall. It it causes a more verdant set of microclimates. In a way, the Basque country is not that dissimilar to Seattle, with its three to four months of perfect summer brilliance and the rest of the year punctuated by, by dramatic gloom and rain. There is something about that mix that really strikes a deep chord within me. In addition to that alignment with the weather, there is also something about the Basque culture that also resonates. Historically, the region has been highly resistant to occupation and influences from external forces. The Roman Empire had a very hard time colonizing that region in part because of the difficult terrain, but also because of the formidable fighting spirit of those living in the area. They did fall under the rule of the Roman Empire eventually, but but the resulting regime was quite laissez-faire. It allowed for an unusual level of self-rule. After that, there was that wave of religious indoctrination that infected Europe in the Middle Ages, but it did not really seep as deeply into the Basque culture. Paganism, witchcraft, and local mythology survived, and these are even present today. I mean, it's no coincidence that one of the best restaurants in the world, located just outside San Sebastián, is named Akelarre, which is the Basque term for the Witches' Sabbath, or the meeting place of the witches. Even when the Basque country was fighting on two fronts, trying to stave off Muslim occupation coming up from the south and battling the Franks to the west, they managed to maintain significant self-rule during this period as well. And of course, think of the 20th century as fascist Francisco Franco destroyed the Basque town of Guernica, the the historical center of Basque self-rule during the Spanish Civil War. Guernica was of strategic importance since it was the center not only of the Basque government, but of the Republican resistance in Spain. All this history of resistance culminating with that separatist terrorist group ETA-ETA, that since 1968 until the permanent ceasefire in 2011, had bombed, assassinated, injured, and kidnapped thousands. This to fight for Basque autonomy and separation from Spain. Now, granted, I have limited experience interacting with the Spanish Basque people, but what struck me during those interactions was that initial sense of distance and wariness quickly morphed into acceptance and warmth, if, if you're not an overbearing buffoon. I mean, I tend to like that, that sense of distance and the sense of earning one's relationship with others rather than performing a daily vaudeville show of pleasantries with everyone. I mean, let's listen to famed actor and director Orson Welles tell us a bit about the Basques. The people who live here are neither French nor Spanish. They're Basques. The rise and fall of other republics, other kingdoms, has never made them forget it, that they're Basques. And that Basques are... What Basques are? Well, what is a Basque? All we know for sure is what a Basque is not. Besides not being French or Spanish, a Basque is not Mediterranean, Alpine, Magyar, Celtic, Germanic, Semitic, nor Scandinavian. He isn't even there yet. Nobody knows who his ancestors were. According to him, Adam and Eve were pure Basque. And it's true that he's positioned something like the Red Indians in America. He's an Aboriginal. He was in Europe before the other Europeans came along. To this day, he speaks his own weird language, a tongue no expert has ever been able to trace. Dignity can mean, of course, a lot of things. Uh, it, it can imply a certain pomposity or rigidity of behavior, at least. Certainly, there's nothing about the dignity of the Basque that's rigid, but formal, perhaps. They're formal till so they know you awfully well. I really think their dignity comes from self possession. A true self possession? A true self possession. Yes, yes. Every Basque owns himself. So. The plan is to spend a year away from the traditional 9-to-5 grind I was part of for the past 20-some years. It's a mid-career break for me, allowing me to reset, refresh, and pursue some creative outlets. Some people are curious about what went through my mind when choosing to achieve escape velocity from a pretty good career arc, I left a position as a, a chief strategist for a digital marketing agency. And whether I'm nervous about the risks, whether I will be able to reengage with the day-in, day-out orbit of work in the United States, especially as an older man in an industry known to, to overvalue youth. There are at least three primary reasons why I knew this was the move for me. But before I talk a bit about those reasons, let me share my attitude around the risks involved in interrupting a career by doing something like this. I engage in a thought experiment. I project into the future and I ask my 75 or 80-year-old self, what would I regret with more pain? A, having spent the bulk of my years dedicated to a career, not interrupting it, having had a steady stream of income and stability, and expending those three, maybe four weeks of vacation time every year and never having pulled a trigger on a long-term break. Or, would I regret more, B, choosing to interrupt a career arc at least once in order to spend dedicated time exploring a place or two in depth, understanding the essence of these places, but at the expense of having that stutter in my career where I might reconnect one or two steps behind where I used to be. On the assumption that I have a strong sense of self-knowledge, and that I will be roughly the same person at 75 than I am now, though probably with more ear and nose hair, it is unambiguously clear to me that my future old man self would be more pissed off and dejected at not having done this. If you are thinking of doing something similar, play with that thought experiment, but but do it at a time and place where where you are unencumbered by the neuroses of day-to-day existence. So that's enough talk about the risk and insecurities around this move. Let me talk about the the three reasons that motivated this decision. One factor has to do with rescuing the concepts of, of leisure and idleness from a dominant worldview that holds them suspect. And let me be clear, this is not adding weight on the so-called life side of the work-life balance scale. It is more of a, a rejection of that binary, that work Life binary, since it implies that life is what happens when you're not part of work, as if there were some non porous divide that you tunnel through every morning and every afternoon. Our modern culture and our economic system undervalues downtime as a threat to productivity and as a threat to efficiency, or sometimes in a perverse co opting it creates movements that package our desire for downtime as a way to become more productive. Think of how mindfulness, yoga, foosball tables in the workplace and so on are part of the, of the programmed HR culture in our workplaces now. Hey, there's no need for you to go away and, and take the time to be and, and think on your own. We now offer the spaces where you can do that here at work while you're still being close to your email and close to your station. So, really, by the time the workday was done, I found my tank of energy too depleted to engage fully with leisure and with sustained contemplation of, of other facets of my life. I mean, it's not that I end up lying in the couch, you know, drooling into a tiny tin cup throughout the weekend, though that sounds appealing, but rather that the intensity of my engagement with other facets of my life felt somewhat dimmer by the time my tank of energy filled up again off i went into another intense work week a second motivation has to do with nurturing the the value of my time in the world i grew up in mexico city and i also had the benefit of spending a good chunk of my 20s being a graduate student in philosophy Those experiences instilled in me a a deep appreciation and valuation of my time. Because to paraphrase Annie Dillard, what we choose to do with this hour and with that one, with those 10 minutes and those 45 minutes, is ultimately how we end up spending our lives. I know it sounds like a no-duh platitude, but give that thought the space and the weight to sink in. If I chose to double down on an uninterrupted career path, punctuated by those sanctioned partitioned vacations, I'd ultimately fall into what Dillard described as quote, a lifeboat on which you find yourself decades later still living. Each day is the same, so you remember the series as a blurred and powerful pattern. End quote. I want to interrupt that blurry pattern right now. Perhaps it's how I am wired, neurologically. I lack the power of imagination and creativity to find those experiences I crave within my usual day-to-day existence here. Others might be able to find those rewards within them, and I just can't see those. And third, I am hoping that this will allow me the space to be creative. And I mean creative in its foundational, primitive sense of generation not necessarily in the sense of creating art objects and poems and fictions and the like, but spending sustained thought and activity, for instance, on this podcast and on this site, is my way of thinking about our relationship to places, to think about how people design places and how they are shaped by them, and crafting ways to make these thoughts clear to you. I like to think of Creativity is including more than inspiration. It also includes a a laser-like attention to the environment I'm in, to the materials around me, and in order to generate something through through artisanship. While Plato pointed at the heavens for the source of creativity and divine inspiration, Aristotle also valued what is closer to the ground— he valued the materials around us, the properties and the rules inherent in those materials, and the process of wrestling with them to create something new and interesting. Inspiration is not enough. The the catalyzing enzymes, if you will, for creativity to start bubbling and fizzing also include deliberation, reasoning, and analysis. So I guess I'm in I'm an Aristotelian when it comes to creativity. Okay. So those are some of the reasons. A thought that floats through my mind often and sometimes is expressed by some of my friends is something like this. Why would you disrupt your life and travel to a new locale to achieve this? Couldn't you have acknowledged all of this and work on it without that disruption? I mean, after all, no matter where you are in the world, you are always left with yourself to deal with. I think my answer is maybe. Maybe. Maybe I could have rebalanced my own life without that disruption. I could have done it all here in in Seattle. But as I mentioned during the episode on Philosophers and Places during Season 1 of this podcast, I do believe that we are physical objects, ultimately, bouncing our way through life, and that the physical environment you choose to submerge yourself in and then be bombarded by its particles, that is as influential, if not more, Than your own internal efforts to change. And to put it even more bluntly, if I am to engage in errors throughout my life, I'd rather those errors and mistakes fall on the interesting side of the spectrum of possible experiences. I mean, I've already done my tour of duty within the more expected, more normal side. You may ask yourself. That beautiful house You may ask yourself Where does that highway go to And you may ask yourself Am I right? Am I wrong? And you may say to yourself My God, what have I done? Letting the days go by Let the water hold me down Letting the days go by Water flowing under Into the blue Into the silent water Alright then, in a nutshell The site and podcast's mission remains the same, but will be enriched by the new locale. I am hoping to bring you observations and interviews uncovering new places, new cultural layers, and new personal stories. If Season 1 had a Seattle or a Pacific Northwest focus, Season 2 will now cast an eye toward San Sebastian, the Basque Country, Spain, and other places we may visit during that year. In addition to the podcast and blog articles, I really am looking forward to producing more video to capture the experience as well. Also, I think that some listeners might be thinking about the possibility of doing something similar in their lives, and that some coverage of the pragmatic details around such a move might help them, might help you. As of this day, we are in the middle of the process of securing a long-term visa in Spain, and are still dealing with all the logistics. But I think I'm going to offer a separate companion set of episodes, if you will, that will focus on financial planning, lodging and residency issues, on how to travel with pets, we have two cats in our case, on navigating the visa process, and and so on. So, a final note. Season 1 proceeded at a pretty consistent rate of one episode per week over a six-month period, but. Because we will be in a transient state for the next couple of months, and because we will be settling into the new life in San Sebastián or Donostia, I'll be shooting to have episodes out every two to three weeks. So keep the faith and keep that podcast subscription intact. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share, like, or leave a review about this podcast since all this activity helps us get noticed and grow. I would also love it if you visited theplace.io where more podcasts, videos, and written content live. On that site, you will be able to learn more about the impending move and about the Basque Country on the companion page that will be associated with this episode. And as always, you can subscribe and receive the latest, greatest episode on your favorite app and device. And you know, to reiterate, if you have the time and inclination, it would be great if you could leave a rating or a review on iTunes, because those actions really help podcasts get that additional visibility and traction. Until the next time, this must be the place.